0: Hey, 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 everybody, and welcome to the Archipreneur Now podcast. I am your host, Heath Armstrong, and this is episode... 32 today we're going to talk about how asking for help can change your life the power of the community we're going to get into a little thing we call feng shui and our guest today is amazing and she's going to talk about her designs and how they maximize the harmony of human existence with our surroundings so hang on tight and here we go come on everybody let me hear that beat come on come on everybody let me hear that beat. Here we go now. Who wants to get funky? Who wants to get a little creative out there? Which one of you want to get a little bit artsy now? Well, then get on with your bad self. All the way from CI in CI, Ohio. A skittamarinkity dinkity dink, a skittamarinkity doo. I've got another creative guest for you. She's an architect, also a career coach and a mentor, and the author of Career Crisis, the patron saint of architecture, Angela Motzi. Angela, you are the entrepreneur now. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Oh, I'm fantastic. All the time. Every day, all day, Angela. Angela is a creative architect. Um, she kind of does architecture from a different angle in relation to, um, I guess, kind of the the way that a place would be set up around people. Is that correct, Angela? I do. Yes. And Like I said in the intro, she's also a career coach and she does some mentoring and and, uh, author. So congratulations on that and getting your book out. Thank you. Um, You had a past, I guess you went to Carnegie Mellon University and then down to University of Arizona. And now you're up in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is actually where I was born. Uh, So go Reds. Awesome. And also a certified feng shui practitioner which is a Chinese philosophical system of harmonizing the human existence with the surrounding environment. So I can totally see how that fits in with you, Angela. You are awesome, so unique in so many different ways. I love it. So are you ready to boogie or what? Let's do this. (laughs) We like to start this off with a little section called the Breezy Threes so the audience can get to know your creative side a little bit. So what do you think some of your favorite creative works are? They can be albums, arts, books, whatever you may be into.
1: Well, I like anything that kind of makes me think a little bit. So um, some of my favorite architecture is one that kind of takes apart what we expect space to be and puts it together in a different way. So work by... MVRDV is very interesting to me right now. I also like to get outside of architecture for inspiration. So I love, you know, going to an art museum, watching movies, reading good books, just getting exposed to different points of view, because I often find as a creative person, you can never really turn your brain off. So when you're trying to solve a problem, It stays with you, whether you're actively thinking about it or not. And the best way to come up with a creative solution is to stop working on it and go do something else. And then you'll just see something that kind of clicks and trips a bunch of wires in your head. And all of a sudden, you've got a fresh angle on solving your problem.
0: Oh, absolutely. Have you been around to a lot of the art museums all over the country?
1: I have. I have. Um, A lot of lot of interesting ones, a lot of interesting local ones that, you know, not always the big ones are the best ones because those can be kind of exhausting to go through, but sometimes just seeing something little.
0: Are there any in particular up there around Cincinnati that are local that I should be informed of to check out immediately?
1: Oh well, you probably know about the Museum of Contemporary the Contemporary Arts Center, Mm -hmm. which is You know, always got something great going on. And the nice thing about their galleries is they're not too big. So they're kind of intimate spaces. And then there's another great gallery that's actually part of the Aronoff Center downtown that is free and open to the public most days of the week that always has very interesting exhibits. So those are two. I work downtown, so two that I often hit on my lunch break.
0: Oh, that's awesome to, hit, to go over there on your lunch break. That's a good idea. And I'm a huge advocate of getting away from uh, extraneous amounts of time doing something because your mind will start to kind of break itself down. And as soon as I get out and do something, whether it be exercise or, or go you know, visit an art uh, museum, it is so true that your mind kind of just starts clicking on other things and you can get back to doing what you were doing to begin with. Uh, who do you think some of your biggest role models or influencers are from a creative standpoint?
1: Hmm. I, you know, I, I'm kind of a person who doesn't believe in heroes. So there are people who I admire for one thing they do or another thing they do, but I don't like to hero worship any one person. Mm
0: hmm. Do you have any uh I guess not really a hero but someone who has something one of those one things in particular that you uh, kind of found influence in?
1: Um, I'd say probably just, you know, in my in my experience working people who have broken the rules. So for example, I lived in Phoenix for about eight years and was very involved in the community there and met a man, John McIntosh, who ran a urban design program for ASU. And one of the things that really impressed me about John was that he was very much an introvert and a quiet person. And yet, just by being willing to get out there and make a difference. He was and he was actually a very influential person and as an introvert myself that made a big impression on me that you don't always have to be the loudest voice in the room to be heard.
0: Oh, absolutely. You can you can do some big things without being the loudest person in the room. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about your your background and who you are and kind of what What was the turning point that got you to where you are today?
1: Sure, sure. Um, well, I didn't always know I wanted to be an architect. I started off as a young child thinking I'd love to be an acrobat in the circus and progressed through a variety of professions, including <laughs> astrophysicist before I settled on being an architect. But what interests me about architecture is the fact that we are making environments and that those environments affect people. And that's always been something that has fascinated me, how a room could feel different if you sit under the table than it does if you sit at a chair. And When I started architecture school at Carnegie Mellon, I was very fortunate that the program was not just rooted in aesthetics, but there were a lot of cultural-based classes and theory-based classes, and even one amazing class called the psychology of habitation, which was just that. It was all about how space affects people and how we communicate within the context of space. And so as I began practice, those were definitely things I wanted to do. I mentioned working um, very actively in the community while I lived in Phoenix, Arizona and realizing that, you know, neighborhood design made a difference in the quality of life for people. That kind of morphed in terms of professional opportunities into doing healthcare. care. And a lot of people kind of roll their eyes at healthcare and don't really consider it to be a design opportunity. But what I realized is that design is really essential for everybody, but healthcare is maybe the one project type where it matters the most because the people that occupy these spaces have the least amount of control over their environment, and yet are in the most compromised situation. So I began to get interested in something called evidence-based design, which is all about actually introducing some research rigor to design. And Not that architects don't have a reason for what we're doing or that we didn't put a lot of thought into it, but being able to show our clients the value of why that window that frames the view isn't a nice to have, but a have to have, is something that we're not very good at. So that's been a big focus of my professional work. And then, you know, you mentioned a turning point. As I was doing all of this, what I found in my workplace was that I often was encountering a lot of roadblocks and many of my coworkers would often confide in me and have similar complaints and a lot of them would move maybe to a different job and after the honeymoon period there was over would have the same complaints and what i realized is that we're very bad as creative people in knowing what we actually want we know when we're not happy But if you were to ask somebody, well, what would make you happy? Most of the time they would stumble for words. Hmm. So as a result of that, in 2010, I started the patron saint of architecture, which really is all about being able to say that there is hope and that somebody needs to take a stand for why design matters and why the career path that enables us to provide our clients with the best design matters. And at the time I was just sharing my thoughts and it has really surprised me how much it has grown and how many people it has reached. We just had the fourth anniversary back in May for the for the site. And I started offering career coaching because I realized that When I was writing a blog article, I was really only maybe touching on something that interested me, but not really one-on-one helping people to find their way and do their best work and be at their fullest potential. And the book was kind of an offshoot of the coaching because not everybody's ready for coaching. Not everybody's at the point where they're going to make that level of commitment But I thought if I could just introduce some of the seeds of thought and the introspection that would help them think differently about what they were doing in their careers, that it would be a starting point. So that was really the point from which I took off in a different direction very consciously in my career, and the blog kind of chronicles that, and it really led me to take a job in Cincinnati, which is what I'm doing here that I really love and where I feel very healthy and whole as a creative individual.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And when you put that first book out, you know, how was, how was the process of writing that first book? Because it's always interesting to hear how different styles of creatives went about getting that first book out and getting it published. Can you share a little bit about how that went for you?
1: Sure. Um, Initially, I thought I would just do a collection of posts that kind of focused on self-empowerment. And as I started looking, I realized I didn't want to do that at all, that this really needed to be fresh. And it really needed to take the reader on a journey of self-discovery and kind of challenge them to be an active reader, not a passive reader. So there were a few major points that I wanted to make about discovering what you want and putting in place a plan in order to get from point A to point B and how it's about getting out of a victim mentality and really taking responsibility. So it actually flowed pretty easily because these were all things that I had spent a lot of time thinking about and helping people with in coaching and I had a lot of good examples to illustrate some of the points, names, and identifying information changed of course. So I was able to write the book in about four months and then decided the easiest thing to do was just to self-publish it on Amazon. And I have a very good friend, um, Clever Crow Design Studios, who's a graphic designer who specializes in eBooks. And she was a lifesaver because I would have never been able to figure out how to format my book such that it could be read as an electronic book. But she knew how to do that and she knew how to get it published in hard copy. So she really guided me through that whole process and formatted the whole book for me and then it was just a matter of kind of activating the um publishing account so now the book is available um through uh, Barnes and Noble as well as through Amazon as both an ebook as well as a hard copy
0: now, is it targeted mainly towards architects in your field or can this really go to anybody
1: it's really Anybody who considers themselves to be in a creative profession, so graphic designers, artists, but even people like journalists have really been good candidates for the book and gotten a lot out of it. And frankly, I believe that no matter what you do, there is a creative aspect to it. Yeah. And when you work, when you know who you are, deeply at your core and you aren't afraid to be that person you're gonna do your best work and all of the politics of a workplace are not gonna sidetrack you and you're not going to let all the limiting beliefs that may have come either through your upbringing or your education or from a toxic work environment hold you back any longer so I really think anybody who's looking to work at their highest potential could benefit from reading this.
0: Yeah, And it's so important to explain to people that you can get past that fear and and take a step towards the life that you truly do love. And a lot of that fear is just in our evolution. Um, You know, we have that fear of, you know, fight or flight just from a survival standpoint of humans evolving over time. And it's really just a decision to get out there and do it because everything is difficult before it's easy and every Mm -hmm. new experience is going to be uncomfortable before it's comfortable. Uh, What matters is those who decide that they're just going to do it and those that don't.
1: Right. And I mean, I've always found that, you know, we all make time for the things that really matter to us and may make excuses for the things that don't. So when I hear somebody say, I really want X and they're not there, it's usually because they either don't really want X, they just think they ought to because somebody told them they should want that, or they want it, but they have, they don't feel worthy of actually achieving it, so they keep putting it off and they stay in that comfort zone. I like to call that the slogger zone, where they're working hard and they're putting in effort, but they're just getting no payback for it at all.
0: The slogging zone. Yes. <laughs> I like that. Well, What do you think, with the, the patron saint of architecture, what do you think your ultimate long-term goal of this is? Where do you see yourself taking that in the future?
1: Well, I would love to expand it. I have done a couple of online workshops, but I would love to do more of those as well as some live speaking engagements and really be able to offer to a wider base of people more opportunities to hear the message and to use this process to give themselves further on their journey of self-discovery and in the process empower themselves to actually be their best self because that is really the biggest thing that I see and probably the most tragic thing in our society is most people are just getting by. Mm
0: -hmm. So when you actually get through to somebody and you actually see them changing themselves to be that person that they want to be and you kind of get them over that fence, how does that feel?
1: It feels amazing, and it's even more amazing for them because you know, just doing a few things to improve their life starts to attract opportunities towards them that probably were always there in the past, but that they were either subconsciously rejecting or just not even seeing. Uh, once they start seeing these and feeling worthy of saying yes to them, It's amazing how just a few weeks into coaching, big transformations start to take place in their life. And I think it's that sense of we can all do it. We've all got it in us. I mean, nobody's better than anybody else or more able to live at their fullest potential than anyone else. It's just most people don't know how. So it's really amazing to help people start to see how they can do it and start saying yes to their life and yes to themselves and how quickly they start to get results from doing that.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely amazing how much a mentor uh, can change the way that you look at things and I was there once where you know, I was in that slogging zone and you, know, you just work, work, work but you never feel like you're getting anywhere but it's because you're not taking that next step in because of a few mentors that I've had that have that are just willing to help. I mean, people really want to help each other. They mm-hmm. want to see you succeed because it feels amazing to see a change in somebody's life for the better. Uh, and as soon as I got over that hump, I mean, it's it's no turning back. And it's amazing the doors that will swing open uh, every single person you meet, the, the new network that it can open up. And, and uh, it, it is just mind-boggling how many people just they don't see it and they haven't been introduced to it yet. Uh, So the more people like you that we have out there uh, opening these doors for them, it's just, it it makes me so happy.
1: I always tell people it's all about the ask. I mean, most people just don't put out there what they want. And so therefore they hope, and it's a really kind of passive aggressive thing when you think about it, they sort of hope, that somehow people are going to be so invested in them and their story that they're going to just know what they need and give it to them. And that's not how life works. You know, yeah. you, you have to, you have to know what you want, but then you have to go after it fearlessly. But I think so many times the fear comes from fear of rejection. And like you said, when you ask for help, when you ask for advice, when you ask for mentorship, when you ask for opportunities, most people are so honored and flattered to be able to help you that the overwhelming response tends to be yes.
0: Yeah. And, it, and if somebody says no, it doesn't matter, you know, because it would have been the same if you didn't ask in the first place. And I've found that nine out of 10 times, if I ask somebody for help on something, they, they come back and respond. It's true. They really do want to help you because somebody helped them along the way. Mm-hmm. So all you have to do is just ask. Uh, w- with that long-term goal in place, Angela, are there any like personal habits that you have that you've kind of set in place on a daily basis or a weekly basis, uh, maybe a routine um, that you use to keep yourself on pace to get to those goals?
1: Sure, I I like to start my day by meditating and as a, you know, very busy-minded person, that's a real challenge for me and I won't claim that I'm, you know, in the zone, but it is a chance to center myself and to think about what I want to accomplish that day and to kind of feel a little bit more settled down about going through it. I'm a big one for just writing down a list of the major things I want to do. One, because it feels so good to cross all those things off. But two, you forget. And again, it goes back to that making time for the things you want to do. I mean, we never forget to take time to like, you know, play on Facebook or something like that. But We needed to call and find out about a certification exam, and somehow that slips our mind day after day after day. So when you actually write it down, you don't give yourself the excuse to forget about it, which is a subconscious trick our fears are playing on us to just not take those next steps. And then I also like to, I'd say maybe once every three to four months, kind of take stock on where I am with the things I really wanted to move forward that were bigger goals and how close I'm getting to them, whether or not I'm kind of letting something fall by the wayside. And when I do, I like to think about why I'm doing that. And is it because I'm just not interested? Does it need to be reframed? Or is it something I'm just backing out of because it's easier to not do it than it is to do it. And I always encourage people you know, in my coaching to have one-year goals, which are very short-term, five-year goals, and more long-term, 10-year goals, and all of these to come out of kind of a mission statement that is the essence of who they are and are meant to be in this life and we actually work backwards from the 10 year goals to the 1 year goals because the things you do today are really about filling out that bigger picture and that bigger picture needs to be fine tuned and adjust as new things happen to us in our lives
0: yeah and it's so powerful how finding those long-term goals and breaking it down backwards. I mean, when you get it down to your daily practices and what you need to get done each day, whether it be, you know, I like to just do two or three main things so I don't get distracted every day. I'll write down, you know, the three biggest things I'd be happy with accomplishing it. But then it kind of all plays into this weekly schedule that plays into a monthly schedule and it just gradually builds up. And so when you go back to those lists that you make, you know, another thing that feels amazing is looking at all the things that you have crossed off. Uh, if you mm-hmm. get to a point where you're feeling like you know you're not making any progress or you're getting worn out, you can go back and look at that long list, and and then you kind of just get that wind back under you again. Like, wow, I really have done a lot in the last six months. Uh, and yes. a, a great app for that is a Wonder List. Have you ever have you ever tried to use that?
1: I I haven't used that, but it's,
0: it's a very simple uh list building app it's free and it's just the perfect one for me because i don't like too many features but you basically just put in your item submit it to your list and you can make multiple lists and then you can star the ones that would be the most important and they'll stay at the top and then when you're done you just tap it and it checks off and goes to the bottom of the list and it has a strike through it and just stays there so you can always go back and review So you could check that out in the app store.
1: I will have to do that.
0: Yeah. I do a lot of, I like the handwritten lists too, because I just, I don't know something about them. I just like to carry them around, but I do a mixture of the both. So, Well, Angela, I know that you are certified in feng shui. So how do you, can you tell us a little bit about how you take that and apply it to what you're doing with architecture?
1: Sure. Sure. Um, Well, I mentioned the evidence-based design work and a lot of the studies related to specific things about the environment that affected people's behavior, even their ability to need pain medication or heal from a disease. And feng shui kind of was something I've been interested probably for about 18 years now. It's been a real fascination for me. And it Kind of has that same root, the idea that, you know, our spaces both reflect who we are as much as they affect who we're going to be. And it's this chicken and egg between the choices we make in our environment that are a reflection of what we believe about ourselves and our abilities. And the environment itself and what it's saying to us and you know which came first and it, it's kind of this cyclical relationship and as i studied more about evidence based design and i studied more to get my feng shui certification 3 years ago i realized that a lot of the tenets of feng shui like being in the power position in a room which means that your back is to a solid wall and you have a good view of the door is directly related to a sociology concept of prospect and refuge, which is essentially the same thing. Or feng shui really stresses having views and natural light, which is also something that in evidence-based design, as they've studied healthcare facilities, have they've found to make a big difference. There have also been studies about how being exposed to nature can improve ADHD, can calm aggressive behavior, and it's just really an interesting link between those two things, or using natural materials, which comes out of sustainability and the importance of having restorative designs in our life. So it really kind of amazed me how the ancient Chinese were onto something. (laughs) They understood how space really affected people at a level that was deeper than just the aesthetics of the space. And another thing that feng shui does that I think is really interesting is the concept of creating what are called environmental anchors, which is essentially things, whether they're artwork or meaningful objects, or even something that symbolizes your work or your dating life or your family or your health, that when you look at that object, you're subconsciously triggering that memory or that belief. And you can use it to foster a more positive environment for people. You know, so it's sort of like walking the talk and, you know, if if you do it, you will feel it.
0: I think you've got a subject, and you probably just need to start making a documentary now, Angela.
1: (laughs) Well, I am thinking of doing that as a possible next book topic, is that whole link between feng shui and evidence-based design.
0: I would totally buy it. Uh, Yeah, it's so much deeper than you would think from looking at it on paper or something, and it's pretty amazing to think about how they did have that figured out in a deeper level. Um, even in ancient china so yeah I just, we, there's not that many people you come across that well in, unless they just don't speak up about it but i i don't think i've ever met anybody who who's a practitioner of feng shui uh, although i've met you know so many people that are into meditation and i had actually another guest previously on i think she was episode 4 and her name was Kim Nickel, and she was a lawyer that actually left her job as an attorney to start teaching meditation and mindfulness and yoga. And it's a very interesting interview. Um, she had some run-ins with a couple really close friends and coworkers who had actually faced death, and she decided that she wasn't going to live her life doing that. And uh, it's all about the power of meditation, and it's pretty cool. Great. You get- Go ahead.
1: I mean, it it really is amazing how we hold on to the things we think we ought to be doing. And when you just let go, like it sounds like she did, you can get so much farther ahead.
0: Oh, I know. Her message is so powerful. Um, That's exactly what it is in a nutshell. It's so hard for people to let go of what is so normal and comfortable to them, but if you just do it, you'll see really quick that, you know, there's other ways to get to where you want to be that are so much better and you'll, you'll, you'll just be so much happier. So if we can just multiply the people that already know that and keep spreading the message and you know, maybe we can increase happiness in the world, Angela.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> and that, I mean, you've probably read the book building happiness or delivering happiness or by the founder of Zappos. And that's kind of the premise of that, that, you know, just being happier makes everything better. And not just on a kind of surface level, but at a very deep meaning of life level.
0: I'm going to put that book in the show notes. Um, so you can get on artsynow.com forward slash Angela Mazzi. And you'll be able to get the show notes to this show, plus uh, Delivering Happiness, which I have not read yet, Angela. So I'll have to check that out. Do you have any favorite internet resources that you use to kind of keep yourself together? Uh, Maybe even if it's related to the architecture side?
1: Yeah, um, I really love uh, 99U has some great, great articles about... uh, you know, many of them touch on the issues of what makes us creative and what blocks us as creatives. Um, Harvard Business Review also has just a great Facebook page and Twitter feed that um, pulls in a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, you might think, what a snooze fest. It's all about organizational management. But how much of what we do every day is truly related to how we interact with people. Hold and, directly. you know, it, it definitely makes, makes a big difference. Um, another fun site that you can check out is called Happify, H-A-P-P-I-F-Y. And it's kind of like an online guide to being happy. And it it's hardcore. I mean, this is not passive happiness. And they've done a lot of work studying the psychology of happiness and put you through on the honor system, of course, you have to commit to doing these things, a whole bunch of different activities that are designed to make you happier in your life.
0: What What are some of the activities that are on there off the top of your head?
1: Well, it could be things like ask somebody who you want to become friends with, but have not, you know, taken the time to be social with out for lunch. Yeah, you know, and it's true. I mean, how many even coworkers might you really enjoy the company of, and you chit chat all the time, but you've never bothered to actually reach out to them as a friend. Yeah, or it is you know, so true. It is. It is. You know, it, you realize when you're on the site, my God, this stuff is hard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel comfortable doing that. Or I don't really want to have to think about six different fun things I can do with my kid this weekend. And the sad thing is that isn't that what life is all about? Yeah. And yet it's the stuff we never have time for, quote unquote, and are always pushing into the margins of our life.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. And I, I remember when I was reading the four-hour work week and Timothy Ferris always gives you those uh, action items to go out and do, and it kind of sounds similar to that, to just try to get out of your comfort zone. So it's very cool. I'm going to have to check out Happify. Uh, it's just I'll put that link in the show notes as well. I, I've never heard anybody mention that before, so thanks for bringing that up.
1: You're, you'll thank me more after you've been there. <laughs>
0: I'm going to go right after this is over. If you could spend one hour creating something with anybody from the past or present, who do you think it would be and what would you create? Hmm.
1: I think I would probably work with a landscape architect and I would choose to really create kind of an urban experience for people because I I really think the average person knows what they like and don't like about design but doesn't really understand what makes good design on what doesn't, what enriches them, their lives and what doesn't. And I would just love to create blocks and blocks of really amazing, interactive outdoor space that would make people realize how little they settle for most of the time in their neighborhoods and cities.
0: Yeah. That sounds like an interesting project. I I you know come into my house every once in a while, and it really is somewhat depressing when you think about the things that we do settle for. And I have this mentality to always want to change everything because I just get sick of looking at the same thing over and over again. So it always ends up with just a bunch of uh, tack boards all over my walls and a million different things that I've posted up with ideas on it. <laughs> I need to come up with a better way to organize myself. I think Angela, if you had to battle Godzilla, how would you use your creativity or talents to defeat him?
1: Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, Well, I guess I would try to expose him to a giant mirror and hope that he would be distracted because he wouldn't realize that it wasn't another giant lizard but was in fact him. (laughs) And that maybe he would destroy himself in the process. Or we could just attack him from behind with a missile.
0: (laughs) That was pretty creative. I like that answer. That was on the fly too. You did not have the question beforehand. Do you have any favorite advice that you've ever been given or advice that you like to give other people that you would like to share with our audience before we say goodbye, Angela?
1: I think just always say yes to life. You know, don't, Don't think that it's too much to choose happiness or to choose to help other people be happy. And the happiest people I know, the most fulfilled people I know, the ones who have made the difference, every time they have the opportunity, have said yes to life.
0: Absolutely. And there's a Picasso quote that I love. It's, only put off until tomorrow what you are willing to die having left undone. So, I think that plays right into there and and, yeah, definitely. say yes to life, everybody. And Angela, is there a way that our listeners can get in contact with you if they have any questions or they want to check into your book or something?
1: Sure. Um, the website is the dot that is all one word. and you can email me at Angela at the dot com. And I also have a Twitter account, which is at Angela Mazzi, and a Patron Saint of Architecture Facebook page that you can like. And I pretty much every day put up a daily dose of inspiration there. So it's a nice little way to have a community built around creativity.
0: Awesome, Angela. You are amazing. And thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing all this very inspirational insight that you have. Uh, I'm definitely going to check into some of this stuff that you have mentioned, and this will all be on the show notes again. Uh, So everybody get out there, do a little boogie, do a little jive, say yes to life. Uh, Really just attack what you are here on earth to do because you only get this one chance and there is no point in sitting in a dark room uh, and thinking about all the great things that you could be doing when you really could just be doing them.
1: Uh, exactly.
0: Yeah. so Angela, thank you for being the Archepreneur Now! And always remember to keep it funky.
1: All right. Thank you, Heath. I appreciate this opportunity.
0: Thank you for listening to the Archerpreneur Now podcast. For all the show notes and more information, please visit artsynow.com. That's A-R-T-S-Y now Thank you.
1: The music for this podcast was provided by Shaky Feeling out of Ventura, California. For more information, please visit shakyfeeling.com.
0: Keep it funky!